Hello, and welcome to the Digital Adoption Show. My name is Kevin McArdle, and I'm the Director of U.S. Sales at WhatFix. And I'm really excited today to speak with Ian Cook, who is a sought-after speaker and thought leader in the area of people analytics. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we kick it off, if, uh, if you could just make a quick introduction to the audience and tell them a little bit about who you are. Yeah, for sure. Happy to do that. So I uh, spent my career focusing on, on the people side of business, uh, really got early on interested in uh, how teams work, how organizations work. Uh, and that led me to a point where I wanted to prove out that it was worth the investment in people. And so from there, I, I started to study what's now, what was at the time called HR metrics and is now being called people analytics and, and uh, to some extent, people intelligence. And that's that's about all this information and data we have captured in an HRIS, which looks at who does what work or a payroll system or a talent acquisition system. A lot of that information is useful and helpful to a business in terms of understanding how to manage its people. So I have basically spent the last 20 years building out that field um, and the last 10 of those years working for Vizier to build a technology that, that helps people do that. So it's both a, a fascination and a business, which is a, a fun thing to combine. Well, thank you for that. We're looking forward to gleaning some uh, some knowledge from your wisdom and experience. And so my first question is probably a lot to unpack here, but I'd like to jump in and just start asking you a little bit about the role of a manager today, considering all the different pressure they're under, the different hats they're wearing, uh, the different mul- multiple hats, I should say, that they're wearing. What does that actually look like today? Yeah, I, I, that's a, a fantastic conversation to have, Kevin, because I think it's changed. Um, I was listening to a, a really interesting HBR uh, podcast recently, and, and it kind of went through the history of the manager, where in the initial formulation of a manager, they were basically the information conduit. Like if you had an army or a work site, we, we didn't have the digital world. We didn't have email. We didn't have this stuff. So the manager went and had the conversation with the foreman. The foreman had the conversation with the, the general manager and the information flowed. But now that role of the manager has changed a whole bunch where they kind of have to be everything in many ways. You know, and sometimes you're an empathetic ear to a, a, an employee who's you know going through some challenges. At other times, you're the performance manager who's trying to make sure the team's on the right page. At other times, you're managing budget. So I think the role of the manager has just continues to expand. Uh, I think hybrid has pushed a whole new set of demands. Uh, and then the, again, the, the the pressures in business to both move fast, innovate, and perform have have just really kind of centered around challenges for that people manager like it 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 almost becomes an overwhelming unmanageable kind of set of expectations and and they're so crucial because they form that key connection between a person and the business and what gets done so you know it's evolved a lot from from times gone by and uh, changed a lot in times gone by and right now it feels like it's a bit of a crucible because of you know so many expectations so many challenges um, and so little time, basically. I know exactly what you're talking about with some of those different roles. Like sometimes you have to be, you have to have the the head of uh, you're the parent. Then other times you're a psychologist. Other times you just you're, you're a shoulder they need to just kind of unload and just kind of let loose and just got to give them that that space. So I I can appreciate uh, where you're coming from with that. <laughs> Interestingly sure. enough, over the different things I've heard and read about, there's you know there's different trends that are taking place. You kind of intimated that with uh, the comment you made. Now, one of the ones that I've heard of recently is where companies are separating people management from task management. 
Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and what role is that playing today? It's a good observation. I, I think there's a few organizations, sometimes driven by the kind of business they're in, sometimes driven by these the pressures that we're seeing that are that are trying to rethink the role of a manager. They're they're understanding that it it, it spans a bunch of different activities. Trying to trying to put all of that onto one person is too much. So some organizations are switching to this this approach where an individual runs the the, the project or the, the the daily flow of work. What are the tasks? Who's doing them? How are they coordinated? Where are we at? Are we going to get things done on time? Like you know, software, anything that runs on an agile sprint based world, that's often the case. But what is not included in that role is the conversations around relationship with the business, uh, compensation, development opportunities, growth, you know, aspirations and mentoring. And so that's the whole relationship element. Um, and that's a different manager. And so, you know, especially where people are moving around a lot from project to project to task to task. And, and as organizations have become more fluid in this you know, task allocation piece, rather than having somebody change the, the relationship manager Every six months, every three months, they they separate it, and so there's a, a person who is your um, relationship with the business, uh, and that's that's the the cadence of conversations around mentoring, around uh, how to, how's it going for work. That that may be the shoulder to cry on at times, if, if that's uh, yeah. how to describe it. And that's a separate role from the person who's actually focusing on the tasks. Uh, it was a model that, that started off in professional services, uh, but I, I see more organizations as they've shipped, shifted to um, an agile type of approach to, to actually distinguish those two those two aspects of management, realize their different skills, different time demands, and actually give them to different people. And that doesn't mean you double up on management. It, it means you, you still maintain an appropriate balance because um, if you're focusing tasks, you can likely handle more. And if you have the full thing, so I don't think you're adding to the management load. You're just being more intentional and careful about how um, you, you actually run it inside your business. So, so companies that are going in that direction or are thinking about going in that direction, it it sounds like it's it's a structural, not necessarily from a from a headcount perspective, but it's it feels or at least sounds like from what I'm hearing that this is really a structural change compared to the legacy way that things have always been done. Yeah. Um, so, so companies that are going down that path, what are some of the things that they need to consider so that, you know, it's not just the next shiny object that they're trying to, you know, reform the company, but that they're actually making an impact in a positive way? Yeah. So, so I think the thing, the, the, the key things, the key things to consider would be like, you know, why is this right for your business? When you have um, very stable work groups that are doing a, a, a similar kind of task and that is fairly consistent over time, it probably doesn't make sense. You know, at that point, the the creating a group of 10 around a supervisor, it probably makes sense. But as we know, and as we kind of see in a lot of the data, the interest in employees now isn't to do the same job for 10 years. You know, in fact, it's six months, 18 months in, 24 months and it's like, where's my next challenge? And so as if your business needs to respond to that from an, and driven by employee interests, that starts to create a need to do, okay, how are we going to carve out task management? And I don't think it's it's fair to make one easier than the other, but I mean, there is a, a thing called the Peters principle where managers are promoted to the level of incompetence. It comes <laughs> about because what makes you good at being a brilliant person at task is completely different from what you need to be a good person with people. 
So that that's the other thing that I need to think about is like, okay, so who have we got that can manage task? How is that going to work? How do we get the task stuff done? I'm always, you know, business first. And then layering in, well, what are those distinctive capabilities that make somebody a good your know, relationship manager? How many of those people would we need? So I would, again, you're, you're going to be changing things as you go. So keeping track on task and keeping the output piece going makes sense to me. And then layering in, you know, this is who you go to. This is how often you meet. This is how uh, the kind of conversation that, that they have would be the way to start making that shift. So you, you don't stop the bus and kind of reshuffle everything in a gigantic change. You take some of those, you know, when you want to have a conversation about career, it's not your task leader, it's your people leader or relationship leader, however you want to categorize that. So introducing that as, a, as, a, as another layer for me would be the, the way to actually start making that shift and then making sure you're putting the right people with the right skills. Um, with again their own growth opportunities and, and such like around that so you're optimizing for what people are really good at as opposed to often management positions are we put up with a person who's not so great with people because they get the job done um, and, and adapt to that or we like the person who's really good with people but we kind of tolerate the fact that they're maybe only at 90 percent of target yeah <laughs> as opposed to 100 percent. so you know really trying to optimize is the, the intent isn't to um, do less it's actually to work out how we do it better it's interesting uh the uh the way that you explain that because i was thinking about several examples you know one is that you know a, a we use a, the role of a salesperson a good salesperson isn't necessarily a good sales leader uh, and, and we've seen th this type of example i think is kind of ubiquitous because if you relate this to sports for example there's some phenomenal athletes that are terrible coaches and then yes. there are some athletes that are so-so athletes, but they're phenomenal coaches. Coaches, yes. And so it's a matter of drawing out, you know, where is their area of strength and, and how do you leverage that? Yeah, and I think it, it's an important thing to understand, Kevin, because I also think that's one of those other things that has changed around management. You know, we have a lot of junior staff that join us. Their mental model is like, I have to become a manager because that's the only way I get paid more. Um we haven't built our structures that way, but they come into our visit our, our business that way. And it, and in reality, you know, the the star, the star musician, the star sports person, um, you know, they can be earning more than the people who are managing them because of their performance. And so businesses need to start thinking that way. It, it, management shouldn't be the only path to earning more money, but management skills should be valued for what they are. Um, yeah. and, and, and recognizing that, you know, management is just, it's not doing more of what you are good at. It's doing something completely different. So that really kind of touches on the, the, the people management versus the task management trend that I was asking about. Are there any other trends that are, you know, prevalent right now that you're seeing? Yeah. The, I mean, hybrid is, is definitely pushing a, a key trend to, um, help augment managers and, we're we're in the people data space, so you know clearly of, of interest to us. The something that we saw as the pandemic hit, but which has not changed, is um, much more use of data, much more access to understanding things about people in order to make business decisions. But as the economic slowdown is you know taking hold and and, and looking to be uh, potentially increasingly more severe. You know, organizations are 
they needed it as the pandemic hit. They've needed it as people work from home. They're they're now needing it to deal with another um, shift in the economic cycle. So we're seeing organizations do a lot more, um, not to you know just get name and address to managers, but actually get information that helps them understand their team. Simple example is things like experience. There was a another recent, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article. The group had done a, a research project about if people have been with the business longer and know more about the product, does it lead to better results? Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, most of us in sales are going to go, yeah, of course. Uh, they found that that was true. So in, instead of telling a manager you have 10 people, like here's how the overall experience level in your team has changed. And again, you can likely relate to this from sales. You expect quota from the sales group that have been together for three years Everybody's learned the product, learned the cycle. They know a deal. So you'd expect them all to hit quota. You wouldn't expect quota from a group of 10 people where they've all got two months of tenure. And so shifting that notion to help the manager think through, how am I going to get my job done by providing insight that says, yep, you know, you have a, an experienced, connected, like totally rocking team. You should be knocking it out of the park or actually you know, due to movement, and it can be internal movement. It doesn't have to be um, resignations, etc. But but due to movement, you've had some disruption in your team. Your your overall horsepower has probably gone down 10, 15 percent. You know, take mm-hmm. that into account as you're building your plans, understanding where you focus, looking at learning, looking at growth, looking at pairing up people to to rebuild to full capacity. So it's it's a relatively simple idea, but it, you know. I think managers intuitively have that in their minds, uh, being able to use the data to make it more clear, more focused you know, ideas to help move that forward, I think is is one of those, again, how do we actually help managers not have to do it all on their own kind of thing? So you're based on you know this particular area that we're we're touching on right now, you know, managers have a lot of different responsibilities, a lot of plates that they're spinning. And you had touched on a little bit ago, uh, hybrid. So, you know, considering you have companies that are in a hybrid mode where sometimes they're at home, sometimes they're remote, or some companies are purely remote and some companies are back to the office. So what role does digital play in all of this? Yeah, I think the digital is here to stay. I think that's one of the, I mean, most people I'm sure will have heard and read the pandemic accelerated our shift to digital. Um, the the whilst the impact of the virus has declined, I think the digital acceleration is just going to keep going. Um, and whereas some of that early wave of of digital was was to move, I call it record keeping. So you know, a lot of the early wage stages were let's put our bookkeeping in the cloud, let's put our uh, you know record of who joined the business and who left the business in the cloud. Where I think digital is going is actually into the next way, which is intelligence. So we've got all that information now with AI, with the kind of capabilities exist, with the needs to move fast. You know, digital is coming more about, about intelligence and actually using all that transactional data for smart elements. You know, some of the customer tracking that goes on, some of the um, personalized marketing that goes on, all of that is sort of examples of how. Um, our digital world has changed and that whether we're in the office or not in the office, we're going to be working in a digital world. I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, 
can't remember exactly. But if the pandemic had happened even 10 years ago, I think its effects economically would have been maybe two to three times as tough. Um, different impacts in different sectors, but a, a, a large, I'll just talk for our organization. We have people who write code. We have a couple of hundred of them. They went home overnight and started writing code from home. Like we, the infrastructure and the capacity to do that, do that without any sort of security risks or challenges in terms of infrastructure wasn't really in place 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, these companies were definitely at definite a disadvantage then. Yeah. And so that, and that's where I think, you know, we've, we've learned to rely on digital. We've learned to use digital. Well, it's, it's opened up a lot of opportunities. It's opened up a lot of productivity. Like it's, it's helped businesses do better. So I don't, I don't see it going away in any way, in any way at, at all. I think we're just going to kind of deepen our reliance on, um, using technology to augment people where we can to augment processes to to make things work smarter uh exciting i mean it's 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 sort of why i do the work i do um i don't see digital as, as separate to people i actually think uh digital's got an amazing opportunity to really help people so uh, i'm very excited by it that way it sounds like uh the the, the technology digital specifically since we're talking about that is really able to help managers draw correlations or conclusions to things that they may not even been looking for in the first place. Yeah, I, totally. I mean, let's, let's give you sort of some tangible examples. Um, you know, going back to that notion of, like, as a manager, a core concern when I, when I had teams was, do I have the people I need doing the things I need to get to my goals? One of the things that affects that we all know is, is resignation, people leaving the organization. As we think digital, we now have the data to create probabilities of individuals in my team exiting the business. And we can't necessarily predict exactly what would make them stay. We're not, it's not that simple. People aren't that clear. But we can get a good sort of understanding of who is likely to leave next. And when a manager has that information, I mean, they're having that conversation with HR, maybe they're thinking about it, maybe they're not. But when they have a good basis for here's a list of people who might leave, you know, the first question is, do you care? If you don't care, that's fine. But if there's people on that list, you think, oh, wow, if I lose that person, it's going to have an effect on, on the business. Then it just triggers that opportunity to have the conversation. And she says, oh, this is, there is good evidence for this. There's a future negative impact if the event comes about i'm in a position to start taking action to change that because it is if you get ahead of it it is really easy to not easy it's really possible to help somebody stay with your business half the time it's just paying attention to the fact and having the conversation and that's where i say this you know whilst that's a digital process i'm, I'm taking data i'm running it through some algorithms i'm coming up with a probability that's a, a digital process it leads to a human process, which is like, just want to check in. How are you feeling about work? You know, are you feeling challenged? Are you feeling motivated? Are you excited about where you're going? I just, you know, I'd love to have that conversation with you over coffee. Just want to explore whether we really like having you in our work environment. We want to make sure that your work environment is also, you know, aligned to where you're going. That's the start of the conversation. And sometimes that conversation, it doesn't pan out, but Often that conversation like, oh, you do actually want me to stay. I, didn't, I just thought you were completely ambivalent and didn't care. <laughs>
<laughs> and just that simple aspect of, of showing that you're interested and you do have an intent for that person to stay and you're prepared to make changes around that will will keep the employee. And that's worth, it's worth across a population, that's worth many millions. You know, in certain circumstances, it can be worth a lot of money in its own. I think that's a great transition point to bring up the idea of surveys. And we've all been at companies that have done surveys ad hoc or just, you know, periodically, certainly not strategically, just, you know, fill out your survey and it's almost like check the box type of scenario. Um, so how can companies, you know, get better at gaining these insights from what the employees are trying to tell them, maybe not overtly, but how can they get better at, uh, at getting that insight and then actually making that actionable where they can actually, you know, make the place better in terms of whatever it is the, the employees are trying to uh, tell them? Yeah, I love the question, Kevin, because, again, I think that's another place where digital starts to help us. So um, I, I'm of the generation where those surveys were done on paper. We brought them all back. We coded them into an Excel spreadsheet, and we kind of did the math using Excel formulas. Um, no, and then you've got wave, about them until the next period, right? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Wave two, you know, that's kind of gone online. We, we're definitely in this wave three around the employee listening space where you know the the technology some of our partner technologies um they don't do mass surveys they they have an, an app where after an experience you can give it a star rating after an experience you can talk to your phone they'll record that on a camera they'll break that down into positive negative sentiment they'll send that to the manager it belongs to so you know one of the one of the pieces around listening has never been more important Digital allows for that far more focused, immediate, uh, listen to what the person cares about and then respond to what the person cares about. So moving away from this, you know, make engagement surveys were often done as a scorekeeping process. You know, we've got to have 70% engagement and then we can say, right, we've been doing our jobs. We, we check the box and we carry on. Managers get their um, bonus because of that. That was, for me, that was, uh, it brought, people issues into the conversation but it was mostly as a let's check we're not terrible and then carry on as you say we we put it in the draw and forgot about it what's happening for our leading organizations is they're they're going to this far more fast cycle kind of as you expect as a customer if i, if I went to a hotel and then once a year they asked me if i liked that experience i wouldn't go back to the hotel mm -hmm. um, so in the same vein as not not that employee is exactly a customer but that same closed cycle experience of like, I had an experience, I want to tell you about it. I'd like to know A, that I was heard and B, if anything's going to happen. And just being able to actually close that, you know, ask, respond loop much more quickly. That's where, where digital is allowing it to happen. Again, you don't have to have somebody push a button to send the survey. It can be triggered by an event and you can have the technology process the answers and give it just to the people who need to understand it. So you're starting to be able to listen a lot more effectively um, and in a lot more, more a lot higher frequency at the point where it, where you where people are people really care. Um, and I, again, I think that's a, a phenomenal um, step forward. I remember years ago I saw an interview with Jack Welch, former CEO of GE. And um, I know, you know, he had a reputation, Neutron Jack and, you know, getting rid of the bottom 10% and all that. But 
he yeah. really had a very strong focus. He partnered with his head of HR. He really felt that that was one of the one of the most important positions in the whole organization. And I remember seeing this interview where he was talking about, and I might get the numbers wrong, but it was a very low percentage, like maybe 35% of employees were considered engaged. And so I don't know if that is, if you, if the parallel or the conclusion that you can draw is that, does that mean apathetic or does that just mean indifferent? Not sure what it means, but it certainly, if there's only 35% engaged, that means that there's 65% that are thinking something else. Um, yes. how, how does digital play a role in kind of, you know, increasing the level of engagement, however they're trying to address that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting stat because I think that statistic has stayed stable for the last 25 years. Yeah. And so where I think, and some of, and again, I think it's a, it's a, a, a good ambition to try and shift it. Um, the piece that I think digital allows and, and sort of a, an employer can access is using technology to help people find the work that they really love. There's two sides to engagement. I, I've never believed that an employer is responsible for the employee engagement. Um, the employer can create the conditions through which you engage yourself, but some people thrive at work. Some people, you know, work as a thing they do so they can do something else. And so what, what is occurring now through some of the technologies that are available is this notion of aligning skills with tasks. So instead of having a job, which is a role, which is a kind of a box you sit in, which you describe to somebody at parties, um, they're actually looking at work as sets of tasks that get offered and, and fulfilled by people with different skills. So you up somebody's engagement by giving them the choice to opt into new things to do. It, it's it's not it's not as it's not as chaotic as it sounds, and it's not as simple as it sounds. But again, one of the ways that um, I see some of the modern technologies on the people side uh, starting to help is more openness about. 10% of your work time being on things that are growth or development or change for you. But what is often very disengaging or even you know, neutral people is this notion of just doing the same thing all the time, all the time. We're, we're not necessarily wired to change, but we like a little bit of difference. So if there's ways to make that more possible for more people without disrupting the business, for me, that's a, one of the ways, again, to help lift that connection to work for people. It doesn't get too, too much the same. Earlier, we were talking about uh, people management versus task management. Is that is in that environment that you just described? Is that where that model might make sense? Where it would work? Where you have people just focus? You know, it's not your job. Yeah. these are the tasks that you're responsible for. Oh, and and it, and it's it's an ideal way to frame it, Kevin. Because what often happens with the task manager is like, oh, you want to go off and do something different? How am I going to get my job done? Like, there's almost an automatic tension between the interest of the person doing the work and the interest of the person managing the work. Like we've all met the management, the manager who is the talent hoarder. It's like none of my people are going anywhere because they know what they're doing. That means I get my number. Like I'm not like, I'm not going to get them on development. Like I'm just going to hoard them because that's how I am successful. Whereas when you have a layer that is actually the people focus, it's like, yeah, I can understand you've been doing this for a while. You might be getting bored. How do we find you, you know, how much of difference is required? How do we find you that side project that lets you spread your wings? How do we navigate with the task manager, not the sudden exit, but some kind of ramp off where, or how do we navigate with the task manager where 
you're not just doing the work, but you're teaching others to do the work. Um, and that that gives you that next level of peace. And, and again, the task manager often don't think about it because they're staring at the brick wall of you know delivery. And we all know how much time and energy and effort that takes. And so that's where having that separate conversation around, yep, you know, if you can hang into the end of this cycle, it's really going to help the business. But because you've done that, you've earned the right to try something different and here's how we'll manage it. Um, so, because again, I'm I'm not in the view that the employee gets to do whatever they want whenever they want. But I also think businesses limit themselves by saying, well, this is your job and it's only your job and you're stuck in this job until you choose to do something different. Like, I think there's it's more... Yeah. Uh, complex and and there's more opportunity than to just lock people into boxes. Yeah, those those seem to be as you describe them, kind of like the extremes. You've got very rigid, and then it's a free for all. There's there's probably a nice balance somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm definitely not an advocate for the free for all. No, I mean there's a few there's a few businesses that have nailed it. So um, I don't know if they still do, but 3M. Basically, the way that they ran a lot of their research and development was an individual would come up with an idea. They would bid that idea to the business and to their associates. And then the people and the business would then say, yeah, this is a good idea. I'm going to give my talents to it. So they would literally crowdsource teams to go chase interesting projects. So it, it, it sounds pretty chaotic. And it it's definitely like you're not going to drop that into 95, 99% of businesses. But there are models out there where that that free form work on what you care about has actually been trialed and has been proven to work. So it's not it's not for everybody, but the but it, the right circumstances it can help you thrive. Yeah, I agree with that. I remember uh, the um, an example. It, this happens, I think, more in technology than in other industries. But I think it's Google that has this. 10% of your time is for whatever you want to work on. It's got to be business related, but it's whatever you want to do. And some of, uh, from what I remember, some of the, the biggest innovations from Google came from that, that 10% work on what you want. I think Gmail came from that. I think Google AdWords came from that as well. So, you know, providing that culture, that environment where you, you give people the opportunity to work on things that they're really passionate about, you know, like the, what do they say? The uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the right way to, to, to describe it. It's like, you know, you may, you may not be able, you may not have the kind of revenue that Google has to say, give every 10% of free, free time that, that oh. that's not always a straight lift, but if you have ways to, you know, generate that opportunity for people in your business, then it's likely to pay you back in terms of innovation, commitment, drive, and those kinds of things for sure. Well, we're running, I know we're running a little short on time here. So I wanted to ask you one last question here uh, before we let you go. So there, there was a lot that we unpacked and a lot that you shared with people. I'm sure you gave everybody some things to think about. What are some low, what are some areas of low hanging fruit that people can start looking at today to try to make some changes and positive outcomes that, you know, that they, that they're hearing about from you today? Yeah, I, I think the first place that, that we encourage people to to look at is um, understanding the use of people data to, to help managers. Uh, it, it hasn't been a traditional practice, but there's a crew of people who have been building it up over the last 10, 15 years. 
we've learned a bunch of stuff. We've put out case studies. We've put out kind of practice guidance. That there is the trailblazers has kind of blazed the path, and so there's now a nice trail for for folks to follow. So, educating yourself on what's possible, um, because it, it goes way beyond what people assume. That's for sure. And then you know, starting to to uh, practice some of it. Sim- simple simple things like you know regular feeds of information to managers about here's how the experience level of your team has changed over the last quarter you know what does that mean for you does that right. mean that you're going to overachieve underachieve does that mean we need to think about rebalancing teams to get experience where it counts it's a really simple question and yet it can have really mate- material impacts on how the business performs so I think that's a great place to start. Well, this has been great. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I wish we, you know, had a little bit more time to do this. Hopefully, you uh, would would come back and uh, give us a chance to chat with you again. Oh, absolutely, Kevin. As you can tell, this is you know I've spent my career studying, understanding, working, building in this space. I'm I'm always happy to talk about people, technology, and and business. So yeah, I'd love to join you again. Excellent. If people do want to get a hold of you to chat with you a little bit more in a one-off fashion, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, connecting with me personally on LinkedIn. Um, you know, always looking to build my followership. Happy to connect to people directly on LinkedIn. Um, I publish a fair bit there and, and run a bunch of conversations around you know digital people and, and and business. So that's a good source. And then I work for a company called Vizier, which is a vizier.com. So if you're again, if you're interested in this use of people data. Um, we have a lot of stuff on our site that can be helpful. So those are two ways to get a hold of me. Excellent. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us today and uh, looking forward to talking to you again, Ian. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good day, all. All right. Take care.